Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, I want to say a special thanks to our worship team. You know, they really work hard for us. They've already been here for like three hours today. And I'm very much appreciative of all that you guys do for us, leading us in worship. And a special thanks to Dan. Um, he, he prays hard about these songs and picking the songs. And I'm just going to say to you that like today's songs, and actually the last couple of weeks, but they really have just right in with what I'm preaching fit in. So that's a work of God through Dan. And so we're appreciative of that. <clears throat> well, we uh, are in this sermon series from the book of Philippians entitled Reset. And, and, and this week it kind of became clear to me that we're actually looking at life change lessons, aren't we? Life change lessons from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Um, and life change, in some sense, for some of us, it's new, right? For some of us, it's new stuff. And oh, yeah, we need to change from where we are to another place. But for a lot of us here, it isn't so much new as it is, oh, yeah, I remember. And either way, what we were doing is we're looking at our lives and saying, you know, our, our lives lined up with what the Lord has for us. Are we approaching things His way? And if not, we need to hit a reset and, and fix that. Um, so, you know, I've been saying every week that there's no magic button, right? And then I came up here today, first service, I came up here preached, and I looked, and, and somebody, well, it used to be easy, had this button. Remember the easy button from Staples? Did I break it? I did that this morning and it's talked to me and said, uh, that was easy, wasn't it? <laughs> but there is no easy button like this. You can't just push some button and your life all changes and goes back. Wouldn't that be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Uh, but that doesn't mean we can't push reset. We can. We push reset when we are looking at our lives and then we, we, we look at it through the lens of God's word. We, we see what God has to say about it and all of a sudden we say, oh, wow. Yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be in my, I'm this way or that way or whatever. And so we make this conscious choice. Okay, wait a minute. I want to bring my life either in this area or in the whole, bring it back down to where it's supposed to be. And so we commit to the Lord in that and we, we push a reset by saying, okay, God, your ways, not mine. And then we experience the reality that reset us. So then we start to live out into our lives that new understanding or maybe a re-understanding as the case may be. We started off talking about a hard reset and that's where we, we realized that, you know, the moment we received Christ as Savior, he, he became our master, we became his slave. He's the one who should call the shots, not us. But we also noted that the people who are slaves of Jesus are the freest people in the whole world, free from all the stuff that'll wreck your life and destroy you. Uh, then we talked about confidence, the confidence we need to do the things that we're supposed to do. And we saw that having that confidence is inseparably connected to our surrender to the Lord. And it isn't until we surrender to the Lord about something that then we become confident of his working and our ability to respond and do those things. 
And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about how do we become the church that God wants us to be in here where we are, you know, it's exciting to get together and experience the time together, our worship and, and fellowship, and we have this real strong sense of family. At the same time, being the kind of church we need to be out there where we are you know, sacrificing and, and spending time and effort to reach people for Christ. And if the only way we can be both is if we have the mind of Christ, who sacrificed because he loved and gave all, right? So we need the mind of Christ to become that. And then last week, we talked about a, a sort of a bigger picture, an overall approach to life that's, that's guided by God's love and God's wisdom, okay? And today, well, I guess especially what I wanna to talk to you about today, just let you know that in this sermon series, there's probably one more, and that's next week. I believe we're gonna talk about peace, the peace that we need in our lives. Uh, but to get to there, we gotta go through today, okay? And in more ways than one, we gotta go through today. So let's take our, our Bibles now and turn to the book of Philippians. Page 1351 is where we're starting on the Bible that's in the chairs there. And I encourage if you don't have your own Bible to pick up one of those and follow along. Philippians chapter four. So Paul's been talking about a lot of stuff in these first three chapters. And he comes down to the very first verse of chapter four, and really he kind of wraps up the first three chapters in this verse. And he says this, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Now, th this isn't what the sermon's about today, but do you get any sense that Paul liked these folks? They love these people? Yeah, he calls them beloved twice in one verse, Right? He calls them beloved. Not only that, he says, I long for you. I, I haven't seen you in a long time. I wish I could be with you. And then he says, you're my joy. You know, I think of you, I get joy. When I remember what, you know, God's done in your life, I get joy. And then he says, also, you're my crown, which in the Bible, in the New Testament, talk about crowns, that's his reward. You're my reward. So, man, he has deep, deep feelings for these people. And, and, uh, but what I want you to focus in on with me today, though, is what he says to them. Again, therefore, and it's because of all these things I've written you, my beloved and longful brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Stand fast in the Lord. Um, the word that this is translated, stand fast, it's, it's one word translated, and it literally means stationary, okay? Not moving, immovable. Um, it communicates the idea, there's a meaning attached to it that communicates the idea of persevering, standing strong, standing firm, persevering. Now, let me ask you, when you're doing something that you really like to do, you know, it's something that you love to do and you're having a great time at it, and do you have to persevere at that? I'm not asking you as a trick question. Do you have to persevere at the things that are the most fun and enjoyable for you in the whole world? No, you don't persevere, you just love it, right? You do it. And um, so he's talking about not that kind of thing. He's talking about everything else that happens in life. He's talking about the fact that the enemy, Satan, brings things against us and seeks to 
to wreck us and destroy our faith and destroy our lives. You're talking about the things that just happen in life because we live in a sin-cursed world. We're talking about our weaknesses and our mistakes, our failures, all of these things that when all is said and done, Paul's saying, you need to stand fast. You need to stand firm. Um, And I think another way to say this is, I remember the story I read years ago and then it got made into a movie uh, but about uh, a army, I think he, he was a general by the time I read it, but Hal Moore, who was the one who led the first Americans in Vietnam using the air cavalry concept where they would load everybody on the helicopters, fly out someplace, drop everybody, you know, and then fly back and resupply and pick up the wounded. And, but so that's how they were supporting them out there. And so they had heard that there was enemy activity in a certain area, and so they flew a bunch of the soldiers out there, and Halmore with his, his soldiers got out and, and they left them behind in the field. And, and they didn't have any idea how many enemy soldiers were really there. It turns out there were thousands of enemy soldiers in the hills there, and they didn't know that. But anyway, so they're there, and then they, they come under attack, and under attack, and under attack, and, and they're, they're barely holding on, and then it comes down one night, and it's quiet, and, and they've, they've repositioned and spread out the soldiers, and Halmore, the uh, the uh, commander makes his way out and around the perimeter. But I remember him talking specifically to the two or three guys that were there. And he says, see this area here? This is where they'll be coming. This is where they're coming from. And you have to hold this ground. You have to. If, if they break through here, we are done. Okay, you must hold this ground. Stand your ground. And so when I read this, so stand fast, stand fast in the Lord, the, the thought that comes to me is to stand your ground. Stand your ground as a Christian. Stand your ground with Jesus. Now, when I say stand your ground, I don't want you to think that I'm talking about in the push and shove of, of political discourse or arguments about what's right and wrong in our culture that, that you stand up and argue for your position. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about how you live your life. And that when everything that comes against you, when all is said and done, that you have stood your ground with Jesus. All right? Very, very important. So how in the world can we do that? Well, Paul says, he says, therefore, and that's because of all these things I've said, and, and so because of all these things I said, stand your ground. So we're going to go back and take a look at these things. And we could, could say, hey, it's the whole book of Philippians so far. That's what we've got to do. Yeah. That's probably true. But as I prayed about it, Lord, help me to identify what are some really key things that you have shown us in the book of Philippians so far that lead us to this place where that we can stand our ground the way you've told us to. And so just a few things here on that. Let's go to chapter 1, verse 10. He says that you may approve the things that are excellent. And I know we looked at this last week because the previous verse says growing in your love, growing in your wisdom. All of this though that you may approve the things that are excellent. And by the way, there's so much to cover here today that I made a determination that I'm going to stay put in this chair. All right? For a little while. Because I get up and start walking around. We'll go a lot longer. Um, that you may approve the things that are excellent. We're talking about our choices here. The kinds of choices we make that we need to look and discern and evaluate and, and make 
the best choices. And so this is the idea. Always choose what is best based on God's love and wisdom. Always. And we talked about this last week, but just let me drill down on this a little bit with you. Um, You're going to ask the question again. Okay, if I love God, what would I do in this situation? Well, that's your best choice. Choose that. Well, if I really love my fellow man here in this situation that I'm in, what would I do? Do that. That's the excellent choice. If I was really going to love you the way Jesus has loved me, what would that look like? What would I do? That's the best choice. Make those kinds of choices. You know, because it's so easy, isn't it, for us to, to bump along and make a choice when something happens without even giving it any thought? Am I the only one who does that from time to time? I don't know. The way you guys are looking at me today, is it because it's a rainy day? And Okay. Um, what we believe our lives are about will affect how we make our choices. If we believe our lives are about how much money and stuff we have, is that going to affect our choices? Yeah. If we believe our lives are about what job we have, is it going to affect our choices? We believe our lives are about what other people think of us, is it going to affect our choices? Yeah. Uh, if we believe our lives are about the Lord Jesus Christ, his purposes, his plans, his ways, his glory, his praise, if we believe that, will that affect our choices? Yeah. And so we need to be very conscious. What is my life about? We're faced with choices every day. Some of them are little tiny choices. Some of them are really pretty, pretty big choices. And every now and then there's huge choices. And we need to begin to remember that our life is about Jesus. And every time we have a choice to make, and I'm not talking about chocolate or vanilla, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about significant choices. Anytime we have significant choices, we say, wait a minute. What's the best choice here? What would really honor the Lord? Because my life is about him. What would be the best choice? And, and then we need to make those kinds of choices. Choose what's excellent. Let me uh, just give you some examples here. And I'm trying to see, do we have any young people in here today? Well, some of you are young, but I meant young, young. And we don't have them in here today, so I'll just move to the next illustration here. Um, so let's imagine in your job situation that an opportunity comes along for you to receive a promotion. And, and it's a great promotion, and you've, you've earned it because you've done well, and this promotion is going to pay you a significant amount more money. It's going to make, give you more prestige and say in the company. And then you begin looking at this decision, and you realize, well, you know what, if I make this decision, it's also going to require an awfully lot more of my time. It's actually going to pull me away from time that I now spend with my family. It's going to make it so I, can't, I can no longer be actively involved in my church because it's going to require this, this, and this. And you start to look at it and you realize that, that even though this is a great job opportunity and, and so many good things about it, that it's, it's going to require me to step back from the things that God has clearly given me to do in my life. Well, I got to make the best choice, see? You need to make the best choice. And if it's at that point in your life, you might say, I have to say no, because I'm choosing what's best. I'm choosing what matters the most.
Um, give you another example. So Glenn and I went up to visit my son in New Hampshire yesterday and his, his wife and kids, great time, ate supper up there, and that, now it's late. And it's dark and it's rainy and we're driving back from up in New Hampshire. And, and I looked at Glenn and I said, maybe we should just sleep in in the morning. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm the pastor. I can't really do that. And I wasn't really thinking that, but I, what, I, what did think and we talked about is the reality that's exactly what a lot of people do. Right? You're tired, it's inconvenient. Uh, whether it's the night before or maybe it's the day of, you made a different choice. And you devalue your relationship with the church, with which is God's family, the body of Christ. And so you make a choice that's not the best choice. And you blow off church. Let me ask you that if, if I told you, and, and, and you believed me, and I told you that next week Jesus is going to be here. Jesus is actually showing up next week. He's going to be here. Would you choose next Sunday to sleep in? No, you'd want to be here, wouldn't you? Well, guess what? Jesus is not only going to be here next week, he's here today. Right? He's here. And somehow something special happens when we're here. And so... I'm convinced, I look at it and I look at how often people miss church and what they miss church for and all this kind of stuff. And I gotta tell you, I don't think that a lot of people, maybe some of you, I, I don't have anybody specific in mind when I say this, that you aren't making the best choices all the time. Now, you know us around here, we're not legalistic. It isn't like, oh, you gotta be at church every Sunday or God's gonna be mad at you. Of course there's going to be times to come up when you, you shouldn't be here because God has something else he wants you to do that day. But man, we need to be making the best choices, uh, whether it's to be here or if God say, no, this day you need to do this. And if that doesn't happen, make the best choice. You see, if, if your whole life is really about the Lord, then the only choice that makes sense is the best choice. Nothing else really makes sense. All right, so always choose what's, base, what's best based on God's love and wisdom, and that will empower you to be able to stand your ground, okay? Crucial. All right, let's go to verse 27. Paul says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And it continues, but it's that first phrase, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does that mean? It's how you live your life, make sure it's worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Well, let's first of all clear up what it doesn't mean. When Paul's saying that your life needs to be worthy, he isn't saying that you have to somehow or rather become worthy in order to be saved, right? He isn't saying, oh, I, I, I gotta get better, I gotta fix these things in my life that don't belong, I gotta, I gotta measure up so that, that he will forgive me. Oh, no, 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 you can't fix that even if you try, you might as well forget, right? That isn't how he forgives us, he forgives us because he has chosen to. And all we do is open and say, yes, I, I believe, I trust, that's it. We don't have to become worthy. So it doesn't mean becoming worthy to be saved. It doesn't mean trying to keep measure up to be worthy so he'll, he'll have a relationship with me. 
not about that. You know why you have a relationship with God? Because he wants one with you and has, has uh, you know, entered into that relationship with you. So it's, it's not about that kind of thing. That what worthy here means is the idea that your life matches the truth of the gospel. Your life matches that more and more and more. And the truth of the gospel is that you are forgiven forever, aren't you? Forever forgiven for every sin. How, how would you live if you think about that? What's the truth of the gospel that, that he gave you eternal life? You don't have to worry. If this life comes to an end like that, where are you going if you know Christ? To be with him in heaven. Better than here. That's what Paul says in the, in, earlier in this chapter. Okay? If you're remembering that, how would you live? If not only that, he comes and he moves in, doesn't he? He moves in, he doesn't leave you, he keeps working on you, helps you to change and grow. Let me think how I want to say this. When we're talking about walking worthy of the gospel, we're talking about the fact that Jesus, if he were to evaluate our life and talk to us, and he says, yeah, the way you're living, that's what I saved you for. That's why I saved you for that. And so the only thing I want you to think is this. When you consider the gospel and all that it means, should you be grateful? Should we be grateful? Hugely grateful. He did for us things that we could never do. Saved us from things that are just pure nightmare. Uh, and not because we deserve it, because he, he loved us. And so this idea, how would a genuinely grateful Christian live? Well, live like that. Live like that. If you remembered and are grateful for what the Lord did for you. Do you understand that when we are ungrateful, we are at risk of being drawn away from the Lord? When we're ungrateful? Because when we're ungrateful, we aren't thinking, what does the Lord have for us? We're susceptible to Satan coming along and saying, oh, that, you know, there's something better. There's something that's going to meet your need quicker. It's, it's the lies and it brings us to destruction. But when we are so grateful, we're like, to, we don't even think about that because we're so grateful. Imagine that you needed a car for some reason. Your, your car maybe is broken down or you don't have a car yet and you really need a car to go do something that's very important. And then you have a friend who has a brand new car and it is the most awesome car you can imagine. So let me ask you, what, just say it nice out loud, what kind of car would that be if it was the most awesome car you could imagine? Say it louder, what? Mercedes, what? 74 Corvette. Yeah, 74 Corvette. I like that one. Alpha Romeo. Alpha Romeo. Oh, okay. All oh, you foreigners. Stephen, I didn't hear you. Do you have a favorite? 67 Camaro. Okay, 67 Camaro. All right, so it's hard to have a brand new one of 74 Corvette or 67 Camaro, but totally restored, right? So the idea is they loan you this car. You needed a car. They loaned you a car. Not just any car. They loaned you that car. Are you going to be grateful? Yeah. And because you are so grateful for it, how are you going to drive that car? Very carefully, right? Where are you going to park it? <laughs> what are you going to do after you use it, before you give it back? You're going to make sure it's clean, right? And you're going to take care of it. But what if you aren't grateful? How will you drive it? Who cares, right? 
You're not grateful. And you, oh, and you think, oh, the guy says, hey, when do I get my car back? Oh, you know, I'm sorry, I forgot. I got a new car. I left your car at the dealership. <laughs> if we're ungrateful, we don't take care. But if we are grateful for what God has done for us, it's going to affect our choice. It's going to affect how we live, affect what we do and what we don't do, affect why we do it and when we do it, how we do it. All those things is gratitude. And so our lifestyle needs to be that of genuinely grateful Christians living that way. And when we do that, it empowers us to stand our ground with the Lord, to stand our ground for him. Go to chapter 2. Verse 12, and I really got to move along here, folks, so hang in there. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So real quick, clear up again, because some of you may not have been here or uh, heard when I talked about this before. When he says work out your own salvation, he doesn't mean figure out how to save yourself. Doesn't mean that at all. He's already figured that one out for us. When I got saved and my sins were forgiven, where did that happen? Down inside me, right? Someplace in my spirit, we might say in my heart, whatever, deep down inside of me. And that's where he changed me and that's where he moved in. And that's where he's working from. And what he's saying is that we need to take what's inside, what he's done inside us, and work hard at getting it out into our lives. Work it out into our lives, okay? So that what's true on the inside is showing up in how we live our lives on the outside. And so that's what we do. And then in verse 13, he said, because you know what? God is working in you with that. He's working in you to, to cause you to want to do that. He's working in you so that you are able to do that. And then the very last phrase, he says, for his good pleasure. All the things that God is placing desires in your heart to do and helping you to do are so you can accomplish what pleases God, what pleases Him. And if you're working hard on things that aren't pleasing to God, God's not at work there. That's just you. And so we need to focus on pleasing God. What pleases God? And so this is a standard we want to live by. Do what pleases God. Do what pleases God again and again and again and again and again and again. What pleases God? What would please him in this situation? Do that. Um, how do you know what pleases God? How do you know? You gotta open your Bible, learn about God, learn what pleases God in your Bible. You have to be talking with God about what pleases Him. You have to be learning and growing with other Christians and learning about what pleases Him. You need to be serving Him, learning about what pleases Him there. You need to be trying to reach out to those around you who don't know Jesus. All of this is going to develop in you an understanding of what pleases God so that you can do it again and again and again, okay? That needs to be the standard by which we live. Chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. And by the way, it says, you please God, you will be empowered to stand your ground. 
Verse 13 of chapter three. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, here's where we need to have the proper perspective on life, how we look at life. This is about learning from your past, living in the now, living in the present, and looking forward to the future, but always following Jesus. If you go ahead and put that up there, Stephen, that'd be awesome. Look to the, learn from the past, live in the present, looking to the future, and in all of it, always following Jesus. Uh, we see these three things here. When can you live? Can you live in the past? You can't really live in the past. You can dwell on the past. You can't live in the past. You can't live in the future. You can only live now. But Paul says how you live now, it really, really matters. And it takes into account your past and your future, the way you need to be living now. And he says this, forgetting those things which are behind. What does he mean like never think of it again? Don't have any thoughts about that? Don't remember it? No, he doesn't mean that because in the previous verses, guess what he did? He just talked about his past. He said, in the past, I was this way. In the past, I was that way. And then he, he, re, he learns from that and says, you know what I realized? I learned that that was a total waste and I chose Jesus instead. What did he do? He learned from the past in a way that set him free from the control of the past. If we are going to be able to, to stand our ground, we have to get real about our past. You have to get real about your past. For Paul, it was his past successes he needed to get real about. For most of us, I think it's our past failures, our past sins, or what has been done to us, what has happened to us that wasn't our fault, but really did a number on us. And we have to get real about that. And, and, and wrestle with it and, and bring it before the Lord and, and work through it and maybe feel the pain because we, we have to get to the place where we can forget it the way Paul is talking about, where it isn't onus anymore. Because here's the reality. The past is in the past, true? But you know what's in the present? What's always in the present is what you believe about the past. Right? So whether it's your own choices or it's what happened to you, what you believe about that, and you think about in the past, you know that Satan was actively at work in your life trying to tell you a story that will get you to believe the wrong things about God. Okay? He's telling you a story about your past that's gonna try to get you to believe the wrong things about yourself, about the wrong way to respond or how to, so much. And so what we need to do is, is address the past making sure that what we believe as a result of it is true. It's true to what God says. So that we can then learn from it. Otherwise, I guess we learn from it, we learn the wrong things from it. And, and, and we have to do this. And the reality is, is the, the bigger the things are in your past, the more you need to get help from somebody else to do that because it's really hard to do that by yourself. And so you need someone to help you, and that could be a mature Christian who, who has a lot of experience, they can help you with that. Sometimes you need a counselor 
to do that. Someone who's very skilled is because sometimes things are really entangled and hard to, to deal with. And certainly your pastors and their wives can help you with some of this, but we gotta deal with it so we can go forward. Believing the Lord, knowing the Lord, being free from the negatives that used to control us, looking forward to what the Lord has for us so we can move on. So learn from the past, live in the present, look to the future, and in all of it, be following Jesus every step of the way. Finally, go to verse 17. He says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, and and by walk, he's talking about how you live your life, people live their lives. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They may not think they are, but they are because of how they're living. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and by belly he means their natural appetites, not just their stomach, but any natural appetites, that's their God, and whose glory is in their shame. And then he he sums up all this, he says, it's like, let me show you what the problem is. He says, who set their mind on earthly things. They set their mind on earthly things. Do you know if you believe your life is about the here and now and this is what it's all about, it's gonna affect your choices? Yeah, it is. It's gonna affect your choices. If you believe your life is about the amount of money you have, is that gonna affect how you live now? Yeah. If you believe it's about uh, the possessions that you have, if you believe it's about the people and other people, what they think of you, all that stuff is gonna cause you to, to make really bad choices, sinful choices. And so Paul tells us here, he says, they have these problems because they set their mind on earthly things. And he says, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven where Jesus is and he's coming back. So here's the focus you need to have. You gotta live on earth. You don't have a choice about that, but you live on earth with your focus on heaven. Live on earth with your focus on heaven. Well, there's just so much there. I just don't have time to go into Understand this, that that the Apostle John talks about this, how important it is that we have a heavenly focus. He says, he has not shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves what? Pure, just as he is pure. And so when we're living on earth, but we have a heavenly focus, it's going to motivate us to to be pure and to live the kind of lives that will empower us to stand our ground. So it's really crucial that, I have one more thing to share with you here, just a moment, but it's really crucial that we, um, you know, push the reset button and, and live these ways that we've talked about here. The psalmist, David says in Psalm 16, he says, I have set the Lord always before me. All these things we're talking about, right? Set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. I will be able to stand my ground. Jesus talked about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds his house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. You can stand your ground because you've built your life on these things. 
Here's what I want to finish with for you today. This isn't just about you. This isn't about standing your ground just for yourself, although that's important. But there's a whole lot more to it than that. Back in 1812, in our country, Congress was really in a upheaval and trying to figure out what to do. There was a lot of tension because of what the British Empire was doing. And after ongoing provocations by the British Empire, June of 1812, Congress declared war against the British. Now, two years later, through the summer of 1814, things had not gone well for the United States because the British had actually attacked Washington, D.C. They had burned the Capitol. They had burned the Department of Treasury. They had burned the president's house. Those are not good things when you're at war. Those are bad signs, aren't they? And then the British turned their attention to the harbor in Baltimore. And um, there was a a 35-year-old American lawyer who had a friend who had just recently been arrested by the British. And he wanted to appeal to the British to let his friend go, to no longer keep him under arrest. And to make that appeal, he had to go onto the flagship of the British Navy there in that area. And so he went on there and he talked to them and they, they after listening to him, amazingly they agreed, yeah, oh, you're right, we'll, we'll release him, okay, we'll, we'll set him free. But, here's the but, while they were there, they had learned of the imminent attack of the British Navy on Fort McHenry. And so they couldn't let him go. Because if they let him go, they were afraid they would have alerted them and told somebody. And so they kept them on board the ship. And so early on a Tuesday morning, it was a rainy day, probably like today, the British began their bombardment of Fort McHenry. And they unleashed everything that they had on it. You know, shock and awe, they talk about that. Now, this was shock and awe in that day. In fact, uh, this lawyer who's watching this from eight, eight miles away across the harbor, he said it looked to him like that the earth had opened up and it was spewing out the fire and brimstone on this fort. It was so massive. And um, he just knew there was no way that the fort would survive and that, that you know, the Americans would survive this, that it'd be another defeat. And so he watches this all day and he watches it all night. And early morning comes and the bombardment finally ends, but the smoke is still you know, from the fires and burning and, and, and it starts to get light outside and he begins to look. He's looking and looking at the fort, and finally he sees what he's looking for. He's looking to see whose flag is flying above the fort. He expected it to be the British Union Jack because he knew there was no way. But what he saw so inspired him that he wrote the words that became our national anthem. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light that flag And then it comes down to then that our flag was still there. Now, what that meant to him, America was still a real thing, right? The, The beliefs and the dreams and the hopes and the principles were still there. There was still something to believe in. There was still something to fight for. There was still something to keep going on with. And I want you to know that when you stand your ground, 
against all the onslaughts of, of Satan and what he's going to bring against you in life. And you stand against just all the junk that comes against you in life from a sin-cursed world. And when you stand, even though you have failed along the way and you're trusting God and you are still standing, you know, people can look at you and say, wow, there is something to believe in. There is something to live for. Because I've seen it in you. It really, really matters. Stand your ground. Make whatever resets you gotta do to stand your ground. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the truth of it and how you speak it to us. Lord, I'm confident you've spoken to us individually about things that came along in the message. I know that you do that. And I pray all of us, Father, would yield our hearts to you today and say, yes, I wanna stand my ground with you, Jesus. I wanna stand my ground with you. I want to live this, these ways that your word talks about so that when all is said and done, I'll be standing with you as a testimony to you and the truths of your word and your power and your goodness and your love and all of these things. Give us no peace, Father, when we try to live any other way. I pray we'll honor you with our hearts and our minds and our decisions as we go from here today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, you are dismissed.